Welcome to this week's episode of Stand Out, growing in the organizing and productivity profession brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Every episode, we will learn from NAPO members and subject matter experts as they share their successes, challenges, best practices, proven strategies, industry developments, and more. Please welcome our host, professional organizer, Sarah Karakayan. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Stand Out, growing in the organizing and productivity industry. My name is Sarah Karakayan, professional organizer and your host. Today is going to be a me episode. We're going to dive in to the niche that is the ADHD community and what it means to work with this community and how best to, to reach them so that we can ensure that as practitioners, they are getting to that, that, that success, that feeling of success, that ability to live their lives. They feel comfortable and like they're being productive and achieving things. But also I want to define what it means to consult versus coach because today's guest is a certified life coach. Her name is Cindy Jobs and she focuses on helping individuals with ADHD create a more peaceful and productive home and work life. And by focusing on goals and structuring follow through, her clients organize their lives to achieve success they desire. Moreover, with every bit of success, they increase their motivation to move forward and achieve their desired outcome over and over again. Cindy has over 20 years experience in the corporate arena, so she knows the challenges of managing teams of any size while working within the complexity of corporate structures. She spent the last seven years focusing on the challenges of ADHD and helping individuals create structures for their success. She says one of the best things she did for herself and her client base was to become a certified organizer coach. That education gave her the tools to help clients create and maintain their own organizing and time management superpowers, even after her work with them is over. So I definitely want to get into why that was so important for her to make that decision in her career. Cindy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm just so excited. And I listen to the standout podcasts on a very regular basis and just appreciate the energy and expertise that you bring to the podcast community and have really enjoyed learning from all of your guests. So I'm just honored to be part of that crew. So thank you very much for the invitation. Oh, thank you so much for your support, Cindy. You know, it takes kind of like this our whole industry to kind of pour in all of our expertise into these shows so that we can share this knowledge with listeners so that everyone can kind of benefit and help more people. I mean, that's really our goal. Awesome. So if you don't mind, I kind of gave our listeners, you know, a little introduction here, but why don't you tell us from your perspective, your story of maybe before you got into this industry and how you found it and now, and then how you've kind of cultivated to be where you are today? I'd love to because I have a, an interesting path. I spent, like I said, 30 years in corporate America. And my last corporate job was working for Macy's in their regional office in Seattle. And at a point, we're told, hey, we're going to close this office and all of your responsibilities are going to be transferred to our New York office, which was devastating because I worked with a ton of really great people and loved that corporate community. So they handed me a box and I packed up all my personal things and I went home and sat back and said, what am I going to do? What am I going to do now? And I have an amazing friend who I had done some personal organizing with just kind of for fun and on weekends. And 
I was really talking to her about what, you know, what my next step in life was. And she said, you know, there's this whole community of professional organizers. And I was shocked. I'd never heard of it. I was like, what? And that was so exciting to me. So I think we had the conversation in February. I went to my local Seattle NAPO meeting in March. I joined NAPO National. I joined NAPO Seattle in March of 2012 and started on the board with the Seattle chapter in November of 2012 and have just been so thrilled that I made that transition from corporate life to entrepreneurial life and being able to support people and teams in a different way and to use my organizing superpowers and transfer some of those superpowers to my clients. So I kind of found my way to to NAPO and the organizing community through what some might view as a employment tragedy, but it's been the best thing that's happened to me. It sometimes always happens like that. We feel like something's happening to us and it's this like terrible thing. And then, you know, if we kind of just look at all what's going on around us and listen a lot, we can kind of be directed into like the path that we're meant to be on at that time. So that's that's amazing. And it and it sounds like if you if you kind of made that transition in March of 2012, you kind of jumped into working with the ADHD community right away. Is that correct? I did. Actually, my first non-family, non-friend paying client, (laughs) just to clarify, because we've all had, I think most of us start our careers with non-paying and friends to get going. But my very first non-friend paying client was the woman, she was about 55 years old. When I started working with her, she had, she just retired from her law practice And at the time that we started working together, she had a home. She was closing down her law practice. So she had a a corporate law practice office and she had a warehouse full of stuff. And we started working together and about the third organizing session in, she stopped in the middle of the session and she said, you know, I've worked with a lot of professional organizers and I feel like you're the only one that gets me. And so I asked her a bit more about that. And she walked into her library and pulled out Sari Solden's book, Women with ADHD, and proceeded to tell me that she had been diagnosed at 55. She'd just been diagnosed with ADHD and how it really made kind of topsy-turvy to her world. And she'd been an incredibly successful lawyer but she'd been incredibly successful because she had this amazing support structure underneath her. She had clerks that brought her work and then took it away when she was done and did the filing and, you know, scheduled her appointment. So she had this amazing, successful practice, Mm -hmm. but it was because she had this wonderful support structure under her. And when she retired, she couldn't figure out why she couldn't keep it together. So later diagnosed with ADHD, it kind of became a bit more clear to her that she didn't have the tools and the skill set to manage her ADHD. So she brought me in to do some physical organizing, handed me the Sorry Solden book, which I just devoured because it was fascinating to me. And that really launched my interest and passion into understanding a neurodiverse brain. 
Let's take it back a few steps, if you don't mind, Cindy, for listeners who maybe have no idea even what the acronym stands for and what it means to be ADHD. So can you kind of give us a quick 101 on what that means? Sure. ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It's kind of the general Kleenex acronym for ADHD, although everybody doesn't have the hyperactivity. ADHD people generally fall into three categories. They are inattentive, hyperactive, or combined. So for a long time, women and girls weren't diagnosed with ADHD because they didn't have the hyperactivity. They had more of the inattentive. You know, we always heard about you know seven-year-old boys bouncing off of all the walls. They got diagnosed with ADHD because they were hyperactive. So for a long time, women and girls just weren't diagnosed because they didn't have that bouncing off the walls thing that came forward for them. So what happens with someone with ADHD challenged is that their executive function doesn't work the same way that a neurotypical brain does. They sometimes don't have the same linear processing skills. They don't have the same attachment to time as a neurotypical brain does. They are really challenged with transitions, moving from one task to another. So the executive functioning parts of a neurotypical brain kind of keep us on track, help us process things. And someone with ADHD doesn't, their their brain just doesn't operate the same way. It's just wired differently. And so they're very challenged in all aspects of their life. It isn't something that just shows up when you're a kid in school or, you know, as a stay-at-home mom or as a corporate lawyer. It really, that, that executive functioning deficit really is a challenge in all aspects of people's lives. So then what is your role as an ADHD organizer or expert what is your role in their lives once you find each other? And, and maybe you can share with our listeners some, I hate to say tips and tricks. I feel like that's so basic. But you know, if, if someone's interested in getting working with this community, kind of things that you learned over the course of your career that have really helped you bring success to these people's lives. Well, I'd say if you're interested in getting into the career of working with folks who have ADHD, the first thing I would suggest is educate yourself. The interesting thing about that client that I was referring to, she'd had other professional organizers come in who didn't listen maybe at a granular level as to what was going on. So they didn't know. I didn't know at the time either, but I think I just listened a little bit differently. But if you are interested in working with the ADHD community, go out and educate yourself. There are a ton of fantastic authors who've written some very approachable work on ADHD. Ari Tuckman is one of my favorites. So go out and educate yourself. ICD is a fantastic place for resources. I was a member of ICD for years and years and years. And that's where I really got in and devoured a lot of their information on ADHD. I listened to a lot of podcasts on ADHD. It's there's education is the key because the ADHD brain just works differently. And if you don't have an ADHD brain, you need to really figure out how it works differently and how to come at tasks differently for that community. The biggest thing that I have found with my clients from an organizing perspective 
is a lot of organizers want to put things in bins and boxes behind closed doors. For my clients, what I have found is that if it's in a bin or a box behind closed doors, it doesn't exist to them. They need to see it. They need to have some visual cues that that stuff exists. So when I first was working with this client and my go-to was she had eight reams of paper sitting around her office. And my first go-to was let's put those in a closet. That's That's clutter. Let's put those in a closet. And she explained that if it was in a closet, she'd just go buy more because she didn't see it. So for that's one thing that I have found is that having visual cues is so powerful for an ADHD individual. The other thing that I work a lot with my clients on is time management. Because as I mentioned earlier, people with ADHD have a different association with time than someone with a neurotypical brain does. So they don't manage their transitions well. They think, okay, I need to go pick up my kid at soccer practice. That's five minutes away. But they don't account for the transition from, oh, I need to put my makeup on. I need to comb my hair. I need to find my coat. I need to find my keys. And that five minutes really is is 20. And so now the child is at soccer for an extra 15 or 20 minutes and mom's not there. The other thing is getting to work on time. I work a lot with my clients on, you know, what does it take to get out of the house in the morning? What happens between when your alarm gets up, you know, it goes off and you need to get to work? What are all of those steps? How long do things take? Sometimes people have a different idea of how long it takes to vacuum the house. I had a client that just was sure that vacuuming the house took her four hours And we set her up with a time timer and she started to time all of her activities and realized vacuuming the house really took an hour. So it became a less daunting task. So the big, the big takeaways that I have found with my clients is that, you know, kind of the visual cues that they need and the processes that they need to learn to manage their time effectively. So they're getting the things done that they need to get done when they need to get them done. I have so many questions. (laughs) I have so many answers. (laughs) So let's go back a little bit. And I just want to make sure I'm being very elementary about a lot of things, just in case we have listeners who really know nothing about this niche. But can you tell us what ICD stands for and what it is? Oh, yes. Thank you. Institute for Challenging Disorganization. And they are a fantastic resource for all things dealing with clutter, disorganization for, again, a non-neurotypical brain. They do a lot of education on ADHD. They do a lot of education on all aspects of challenging disorganization. So when you have a client that might have experienced this organization over an extended period of time, there's generally something beneath the surface of them wanting to organize. I think we've all kind of run into clients that, you know, they have that situational disorganization that happens when, you know, they maybe inherited some things from their family or whatever, a a situation arises, there's a move, you know, something like that. There's situational disorganization and then there's chronic disorganization 
And chronic disorganization is that disorganization that has plagued people for a great deal of their life. And what I've found is that if there's chronic disorganization, there generally is an underlying reason for that. So ICD was really pivotal in my being able to understand a lot of what was happening behind and below that chronic disorganization level. I love it. Okay. We're going to take a really quick break. We're going to hear a message from NEPA, but when we come back, I kind of want to dig in with Cindy, some things that you can do to unpack these challenges that she mentioned with her clients, just to get your wheels turning listeners on how you might be able to then help your clients in your business or to get your wheels turning on what you would need to do and how you would need to educate yourself so that you can get involved in helping this community out. We'll be right back. The National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals is proud to offer NAPO University courses in various formats to accommodate different learning styles and further your education when and how you wish. For the entire course catalog, visit napo.net slash education. And to join NAPO, visit napo.net slash join. Okay, we're back with Cindy. We're talking all things ADHD. Okay, you mentioned that if these clients put things in bins and boxes and behind doors, that they forget that they're there, which I think for a lot of organizers, like you mentioned, we're kind of like, well, that's kind of the essence of, you know, what we do. We, we might label things and put, you know, so that you can see from the outside. But so what are some things that organizers can do if they're faced with this kind of client to meet in the middle or to get them to that point where they still can stay organized and not cluttered, but be able to know and access everything that they need? Clear plastic bins, clear plastic boxes, clear plastic everything. <laughs> so for example, the, the, the paper situation, I went and purchased those 14 by 14 scrapbook boxes that will fit a ream of paper. And we, we stacked them and labeled them, you know, craft paper, printer paper, photo paper, but they were, she could see that there was paper in the boxes but you didn't have all of these random reams of paper kind of lying everywhere in those the plastic totes, you know, stacked nicely. Same thing. She's a, this particular client. I still work with her on occasion, seven years later, she just moved into a new house and she's setting up her craft room. She's a big sewer. So we went and got a bunch of shoe boxes and there's a box for notions and there's a box for pens and pencils and there's a box for thread. Same thing. It's visual because you can see into the plastic totes, but they're contained and we label them. And she actually likes to label things. She, you know, where I I love my P-Touch, but she actually likes to hand label the things herself because she will recognize her writing differently than she will recognize a P-Touch label. So that's the other thing that I found too is kind of asking the client what their style is. Because I, again, early in my career, I was like, you know, I've got a P-Touch. I can label everything in your house and you'll be able to find everything that you need. Mm -hmm. Well, some people's brains don't respond that way. They may respond to a picture versus a P-Touch label. They may respond to their own handwriting versus a P-Touch label. So really 
digging into how the client's brain works and asking them what resonates with them. Same thing with filing. I go into a lot of clients' homes where they have had these very complex filing systems put together for them, but it's just too much. You know, I've gone into homes with filing systems that have six different files for insurance, one for car, one for house, one for boat, one for motorcycle, one for whatever. Well, that's, that's just overwhelming to them or to my clients, not all people with ADHD, but for my clients, that's too overwhelming. So then what happens is they just don't file because it's just too overwhelming. So having one file that said insurance is what works for them, but everybody's brain works a little bit differently. So asking thoughtful questions about how does this resonate with you? When you see this piece of paper, what comes to mind? Because what comes to mind for us as the organizer, my guess is not what's going to come to mind for a client with ADHD. It sounds like time management is just as big of a concern and a challenge as is the physical stuff. And I could bet your bottom dollar that when you don't account for all that time to get ready before you need to be somewhere, it causes a lot of stress within families and within their work life. And you mentioned the time timer, which if you don't mind, would you just share with our listeners what that is and then maybe go into ways that you can help build up the support system within these, your clients' lives and, and how it might affect their family and their, and their colleagues and what you do as the professional to help strengthen that? Sure. One of the things that from a time management perspective, almost all of my clients come to me for is they have lost credibility with their family and their friends and their coworkers because they don't get things done on time or they always are doing things at the very, very, very last minute. So just to kind of throw out this, the time timer, hopefully we can put a link to it in show notes, but the time timer is basically a countdown device. They have them for one hour or two hours, and it's a visual representation of time passing. So if you close your eyes and you picture setting a timer for 60 minutes, like a regular analog timer, not a digital timer, and you you picture that 1960s timer that we had in our kitchen, if you set it for an hour, you can see the hand kind of click down as time goes away. That's what the time timer is. It's a big red circle when you have 60 minutes and it's a white circle when your 60 minutes are up. And I suggest all of my clients buy that for both home and at work because it's just a good visual reminder of time passing. So as an example of that time passing and really kind of managing, let's say a morning routine, I have a client I'm working with right now who's been struggling. He's, he's in mid-management at a healthcare company and he's struggling with getting to work on time because he's not making his transitions effectively to get out of the house in the morning. So he has a alarm clock next to his bed He has a second alarm clock in his bathroom that he has to get up to shut off. He has a time timer in his kitchen that says, now you need to be done with breakfast. He has another clock that says, now it's time for you to be starting your transition out of the house. And then he tries to beat the clock because it's fun to make it into a game for him. He has another clock that says, okay, you need to be walking out of the door right now. 
So managing that time is different for everybody, depending on what their challenge is. But this particular client has five different timing devices to help him get out of the house in the morning. Now, he may not have to have those forever once he gets into the habit and routine. But right now, that's what's helping him make the transitions to get to work on time, which helps him build credibility with his coworkers and his management team. And it helps him become more functional at work because he's not arriving stressed and already feeling like he's behind and trying to play catch up. So that's kind of one example of how I work with some of the clients on time management on those transitions and getting to work on time. The other thing that really gets in my clients' way is not being able to effectively estimate time for projects. So do we think that writing that policy statement is going to take an hour or is it going to take four hours? We don't know because we haven't timed how long a policy statement takes to write or uh, performance reviews or any of those types of things. So what I find a lot with my clients is they overestimate the number of things that they can do in a day because they've underestimated the amount of time that each one of those things is going to take. So they make commitments based on what they think and then again fall down on not being able to turn things on time because they've underestimated the amount of time that it actually takes to complete a task. Wow. And there it just sounds like there's no one way to help them get from A to Z. You really just have to listen and try it. It's like, you know, you said, did it start out with maybe just one or two alarms and then you built on those as you saw where he needed extra support? It actually started with him thinking he could just move his timer from one room to another. <laughs> gotcha. And, and then what happened is that it got left. Right. And then, all, then the, the rest of the process kind of fell apart. He also decided to go buy a bunch of alarm clocks. And that was, a, that was the next step. But then what he found is that he would forget to set them. So the third iteration was finding old iPhones or something that he could set a daily repeating alarm that says, okay, every Monday through Friday, the alarm in the bathroom goes off at 6.15. So he didn't have to remember to set it or remember to take it with him. Right. So getting to that particular process took a few weeks to figure it out. And so that's that trial and error that is really important in being able to come up with a process that works because every brain doesn't work the same way. And so what works for, you know, a, a, one of my clients may work for another one or it may not. Just don't know until you try. Now, what happens if during this conversation that we've been having, our listeners are saying, whoa, I think this client might be, might have ADHD. How would you recommend a professional handle that? All these are kind of like these signs. Yes, my client does that. Yes, they're struggling with that. I need to adjust this. But now how do I let them know that I think we should explore that? Or do we not? How do we handle that? That's really tricky. And I'm really glad that you asked that question, Sarah, because I, seven years in, still wrestle with it. Primarily now my clients come to me because they know I specialize in ADHD. So as a general rule, I don't get a lot of neurotypical clients. But 
it's a challenge because the more you educate yourself on ADHD, the the more you'll be able to identify traits. A friend just the other day said, well, I think I'm a little bit ADHD. And I'm like, no, that's like being a little bit pregnant. You're, you're either ADHD <laughs> or, or you're not. Yes, all of us have some of the traits that ADHD individuals struggle with every day, but they probably aren't as pervasive. So am I late for appointments sometimes? Absolutely. Do I have one more thing, itis, when I'm supposed to transition out of the house? Absolutely. So probably all of us and all of our clients struggle with some things that people with ADHD struggle with, but it doesn't mean that it's pervasive and impacts every area of their life. Now, to your question of what do you do if you think that your client might be challenged with ADHD, that's a tough one because depending on what your relationship is with the client, you might feel comfortable if you've been working with that client for a long time, you might feel comfortable saying, gosh, you know, I've, I've studied a lot about this and I'm seeing some things that kind of resonate with me. What do you think? If you're really comfortable with that client, then maybe that's a route you want to go. If this is a new client, I don't recommend it because it sets up a different kind of relationship. We're not diagnosing practitioners. We don't, we don't know. We don't know as an organizer, we don't know whether somebody has ADHD or not. And unless you have a real close relationship with that client, insinuating that they may have, you know, what is a DSM-5 diagnosed mental illness is kind of crossing the line. So that's a sticky one. I wish I, I wish there was an easy answer, but I don't have an easy answer for that. I think your answer is kind of perfect though, where it's like, this is not something to be taken lightly. Would you recommend that if you're in that newer relationship, you've decided it's not your place to say that? Could you take these principles that you've talked about today and apply them with this client? You don't have to say, I'm applying this because this works for people with ADHD, but see if these tips and tricks kind of work with this kind of person and the way they think. Absolutely. Because when you're in a client's house, you're probably seeing some of those things anyway. So, you know, again, going back to the reams of paper, the reams of paper were, now that I look back on it, very much a cue that things needed to be out for her to feel comfortable. So if you see that, your brain may say, wow, okay, for her to function, she needs to be able to see her things. And you could approach that with, you know, what I've, what I've noticed is that you like to have things out in the open. So let's try to come up with a way to have things out in the open yet organized. How does that feel to you? And giving the client the opportunity to kind of maybe breathe a little bit and say, yes, thank you. You know, please don't put everything behind closed doors without having the client may not even know that they may have ADHD or not, but they may know that having things put behind closed doors doesn't work for them. So kind of taking visual cues on what you see already and your education behind ADHD affects people's organizing styles will help you kind of soften the organizing process for them and make it much more comfortable if they know that you're kind of on the same wavelength, even though you haven't said, wow, this is, this is something that I have seen in my ADHD education. 
Okay, let's get into this. Can we first, this be mini part one, what is the difference between consulting and coaching? And then how do you then put those things into practice with your work with your clients? That's a really good question because I constantly have to, I dance between the coaching and consulting. So coaching is helping an individual come to their own realizations. Consulting is using, and these are my words, I'm making them up because this is how I look at that. Coaching helps people bring their understanding of what they know about themselves to come to a solution that works for them. Consulting is, in my experience, this is what you should do. So I have some business clients that I dance between coaching and consulting. And early on, when I work with a client in a coaching realm, I will explain to them the difference before we even enter into a coaching relationship, because sometimes what people want is consulting. They don't want coaching. They want to be able to call and say, here's my problem in your 30 years of business experience. What would you do? That's what they want. And some people want the coaching so they can take that learning and carry it with them forward. So, and and there are times that I've been in a coaching relationship with a client and they've said, okay, what I really need you to do now is put your consulting hat on. So I dance between the two on a pretty regular basis. But what I really love is the coaching aspect because that really helps people develop insight about themselves. Because what I may have done in my corporate life doesn't, again, doesn't transfer for how they would like to work. So coaching really helps people bring out the knowledge that they have of themselves to come up with strategies that are comfortable and attainable for them. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I think it's, once again, it's just educating yourself, listeners, on all different aspects of how to help our clients so that we can then educate them. But I also, I, I'm sure you see it all the time, Cindy, where someone says, yes, I just need consulting. I just want you to tell me what to do. And you get into it and you're like, God, you would really benefit from some you know, coaching as well. And so being able to do that and maybe sometimes when we ask for help, we know that we need it, but we don't know what kind of help we need and how to get to that end result. How do you feel about that? I agree. And that's where I like to have, you know, I I will have that differentiating conversation with clients because again, sometimes they just want an answer. They need a quick and dirty answer because they've never, they've never experienced this situation before and they have to have a crucial conversation in 15 minutes. So they, they need just to have some guidance about what I would do or what I have done. Sometimes you're absolutely right. As I'm having these consulting conversations, I can feel like, you know, with a little bit of coaching, this won't come up for them again, because they'll learn enough about themselves to be able to keep the problem from coming up. I don't know if anybody remembers the whack-a-mole game from the fair. Mm-hmm. Where you know, Okay. So sometimes what I look at consulting is that whack-a-mole game. We're putting out one fire after another, after another, after another, after another. Well, coaching and kind of how I look at it is creating an environment where there aren't any moles to whack. So if you can somehow 
you know, foster with yourself or your team or whomever, if you can develop that structure and support that keeps those problems from bubbling up on a regular basis, that's where I think the coaching where people understand themselves, they can kind of create that underlying structure and support where all of these last minute things don't come up or these crucial conversations may not come up because they've done regular conversations with their employees, any number of things. So coaching is really creating that structure and support. So problems don't arise. Consulting kind of is, okay, we're in, we're in a crisis situation. How do we whack that mole? What's, how have you whacked these moles in the past? And what do you suggest that I do? I love it. I love that visual representation too. I think it's going to help the listeners really understand the value of coaching, although consulting can be very helpful if we want that. It sounds like if we want that long game success, right, that it's going to take some work and some time, but putting our clients through some coaching would be very beneficial. Yeah. And I, when I start a coaching relationship with my clients, one of the first questions that they always ask is, how long is it going to take? Mm-hmm. And and my answer is always, it depends. But, you know, my goal as a coach is not to be part of your life for the rest of your life. <laughs> right. My goal as a coach is to help you learn things about yourself that can help you create that support structure, support structure, education, whatever it may be. Learn about yourself and how you work. And then you can use those, your own superpowers to long into the future. You don't need me or I don't, I don't, I don't want to be part of your life forever. I want to be able to transfer education and skills and support and structure that will allow you to be able to do all this stuff on your own. That's my goal. It sounds like that's kind of like the big difference between coaching and therapy too, is therapy can go on and on and on. Whereas coaching, there's an end game. There's a goal in sight for us to reach together as a team Right. I can then send you on your way to, to rock out your life. Right. And people ask about therapy too. And, and they'll say, okay, well, if I start with a coach, do I still need my therapist? And my answer is, oh my gosh, yes, you do. Because in, in again, how I visualize it and Denslow has a, Denzel Brown has a great analogy or whatever educational piece. It's probably somewhere out there on the difference between therapists, coaches, counselors. There's a defining line you know, between what a coach is really able to do and should be doing and the therapist. I mean, there's, that's, that's outside my swim lane for sure. I don't have enough initials after my name to be, <laughs> to play, to play even a therapist on TV. So yeah, that, that therapist role, I kind of think it's an entirely different animal than coaching. And, and you hit on something that was really, I think, very, very important is that in coaching, we generally have a goal. And that goal might be massive, like better self-care or you know, something like that. And there are bits and pieces that we, that we can coach on to create that bigger picture. But there is a goal. There's a goal. I ask all of my clients to come up with a goal. What do you want to get out of this relationship? So we're always on the same page in this partnership. So I think that was really well said, Sarah, is that there's a goal. With coaching, there's a goal. Since I don't know what I don't know, before I ask you my my final question, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you'd love our listeners to know a bit more about with ADHD and, and working with people who have ADHD? 
I will tell you that I am, I have a neurotypical brain. I'm, I'm a very linear processor and working with my clients with ADHD is just, it is my passion. I, if 10 years ago, if you'd said, this is where you're going to be in life, I'd be, oh, like, no way. I, 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 I need to have more structure in my life. And it has opened up avenues of interest for me that I never even knew was there. So what I would say is if, if you have a very linear processing brain and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I, I would just really struggle with working with that community, I, w- I would challenge you on that because it has been the greatest gift to myself is to be able to work with this with the ADHD community and help them become the individuals that they want to become. You know, it really helps move them to another level. And as an organizer and if you're interested in coaching, we touched on it maybe a little bit earlier, I also am a certified organizer coach through Denslow Brown's Coach Approach for Organizers program and that's probably the best thing that I ever did for my career. And even if you don't want to become a coach, learning the coaching skills that that program teaches you, again, was was a catalyst for me, kind of changing how I operate, but just understanding where clients are coming from. Excellent education. If you're a listener and you know you have ADHD and you're interested in helping others with ADHD, I feel like that could be incredibly powerful too. Am I, does that happen often, Cindy? It does. And actually, I think that Denslow started as a ADHD organizer. And so if you have ADHD, you understand those clients from a very granular level. And again, every person with ADHD is different. So as they say, if you've met one person with ADHD, you've met, you know, one person with ADHD. (laughs) So, but if you have that neurodiverse brain, you bring an entirely different perspective to that organizing process and some real empathy for clients who might be challenged with that. So I would say, if that's how your brain works, you have a a skill set that I don't possess that would help you work with people with ADHD. I love it. Okay. So if you could leave our listeners with two sticky notes, and these are action items, so things they can do physically in their business to take a step forward as it relates to to your topic today, what would those two sticky notes be? The first one is be a lifelong learner. The action item that when that when that client handed me that sorry sold in book i could have set it aside and said okay that's just not my clientele but i took the time to learn a little bit about it and it opened up a window of passion that i would have never had the opportunity to have had i not embraced that lifelong learning and again learning through icd learning through the coach approach program learning, learning, learning. And whether it's learning how to organize seniors, learning how to organize kids, learning how to organize whatever your niche is or whatever your passion is, just keep learning because the the information never stops. And it really makes you a better organizer and of more value to your clients. And then the other thing that I would say has really been a beneficial to my career 
is finding myself an accountability partner. And I don't know if that's the sticky that you're looking for, Sarah, but I love it. a lot of us are solopreneurs and we we're in charge of our own destinies, which is great, but we're also alone. You know, when we're not dealing with or not dealing with when we're working with our clients, we're alone. And sometimes I find that I can kind of be a little bit unmotivated if I'm by myself. So creating that accountability partnership with someone who you can speak your intentions and your goals and they will keep you on track and ask about them has been probably one of the most powerful things I've done for myself over the last three years. I started with an accountability partner about three years ago, and it's been one of the most powerful tools I have in my business toolbox right now. Thank you so much, Cindy, for those two great sticky notes. I think holding ourselves accountable with other professionals who are out there, you know, making their own pathway as well is super important and to keep learning. And listeners, if you're listening to this podcast, you've already kind of have that going on. So just keep it going. Keep tuning into the podcast, pick up that book that's been recommended by our guests, whatever it is to keep you expanding yourself and reaching yourself out beyond your comfort zone of what you know, because learning is, is really limitless. So where can our listeners find out more about you, Cindy? At cindyjobs.com. Ah. Perfect. All right, listeners, how about you? What can you do today, this week to make a change in your business? You're listening so that you can grow. So make that step this week, write it down on a sticky note, put it on your bathroom mirror and get it done. I am Sarah Karakayan, and that wraps up this episode of Stand Out. Thanks so much for being here with me and learning with me. If you like this podcast, we always ask you every week, if you've walked away with nuggets of inspiration or something valuable, please leave us a review, hit that subscribe button because we want to know that we are making a difference in your life. Also, please feel free to share this episode and any episode with your colleagues, your friends, or anyone who might find it interesting. I look forward to hanging out with you next time. I'll talk to you then. That's all for today's episode of Stand Out, brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more.